Hey, y'all. Welcome back to Root Cause Radio. It's me and your girl, Anya. Hi. How's it going? <laughs> I need to figure out, like, other ways to introduce us on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, there, there's no perfect way to do it, I think. I think we just jump right in. <laughs> well, you guys, today we're talking about why you can't get pregnant, which is a can of worms and a big, deep rabbit hole we're about to dive right into. Yeah, I mean... I'm sure you don't need us to tell you that this is becoming more and more of an issue and something that both of us are seeing a lot. And I mean, the statistics on fertility are are really concerning. Um, you know, one in five women below the age of 50 are unable to get pregnant after a year of trying. And then also one in four have difficulty even carrying a pregnancy to term, um, which is a really, really concerning statistic. But unfortunately, Fortunately, or not unfortunately, fortunately, there is a lot that you could do to help improve your ability to get pregnant and have a healthy pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And it's hard too because quote unquote infertility now kind of has like a diagnosis and they go based off of age criteria and how long you've been trying to get pregnant. When in reality, like infertility in itself, it's the inability or having issues with becoming pregnant. And it's just so crippling and debilitating, even if you don't reach that time frame. For example, like if you're younger, um, then, you know, six months, they're going to make you wait a whole entire year struggling to get pregnant to diagnose you with quote unquote infertility and to dive deeper. And then of course, if you're 35, they say six months, but just, I want people to know that those time frames, those are by medical diagnoses. And if you're struggling with infertility, you don't need to or have to wait a full entire year if you're younger than 35 to get some answers. Yeah, yeah. And and I also want to say on that note too that like getting answers can it should be again that you can like go to your fertility doctor or your, you know, OBGYN and get the answers that you need. But unfortunately, I'm seeing this all of the time. Conventional doctors just don't tend to do the due diligence that really is needed to improve fertility outcomes and are pretty, like, I see a lot of people that are very quick to jump into alternative fertility treatments and whatnot, when really there are so many steps that you could take before you get to that point. Yeah, before you spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on IVF or something like that. We are going to talk today about what are the th key things that we look into for quote unquote our, our, our own fertility workup with clients that come to us that say they're having issues with trying to get pregnant. So mm -hmm. we're giving out all the deets and I'm super excited. So number one, the biggest factor that causes an issue with infertility, that's stress. And let's talk about the different types of stress because there is real and perceived stress. There's internal, there's external stress. So Anya, tell me, biggest stress factors, what do you see? Yeah, I mean, through my lens, the, the thing that I see the most are those physical stressors. Specifically, like the two big ones that come to mind are over-exercising and under-eating. Mm. Um, you know, so that can look very, very different for different people. There is no like perfect amount of exercise that once you cross that threshold for everyone, it negatively affects your fertility. Um, but, you know, oftentimes like an, an over-exercising is not just the frequency, it's also the intensity with which you exercise and the duration. Um, whereas under-eating, again, there's no perfect calorie amount, but really, you know, under-eating is, is problematic from both an overall calorie perspective, but then also a macronutrient and then micronutrient. So there are kind of three levels to that. 
Um, and both of these are pretty low hanging fruit that you could address right off the bat um, to improve fertility outcomes. Yeah, it's hard because the amount of food intake and the specific like macro quote unquote ratio that each woman needs is going to be different. And especially if somebody has a history of, you know, anorexia or weight loss, they lost their period for a good amount of time because they were underweight or, you know, marathon runners, training, school, college, whatever you name it for sports. Those types of people, I just want to point it out that sometimes if you're in, you're that individual and you've had a lower body weight or you've been more of like an athlete, you actually might need more food and you might you might need more body fat to be able to get pregnant than other people because the body keeps the score and it remembers that stressor. So just want to throw that out there and also keep in mind that depending on the person, some people under eating is a problem. They're not eating enough carbs. And then other people, if you're overweight, that can cause insulin resistance and that can cause you to have stress in your body and can prevent you from getting pregnant because of insulin dysregulation, high testosterone, and then of course, lack of ovulation with that. So there's a lot of factors, but Overexercising, under eating, not eating enough of specific macronutrients, and we'll talk about micronutrients too, but a big factor. And then, as we all know, stress can come also from psychological, mental, emotional stress. So I see a lot of people that have careers, um, so their work environment or toxic relationships, that may be friendships, um, that might be trauma in their body in regards to past relationships they never worked on or past traumas that they never worked on, that can be very stressful to the body too. And so working on the stress in your day-to-day life, whether that's what you're putting on yourself, how you speak to yourself or the people around you or your job or whatever you do when you pile on your plate is very important because the body doesn't care what stress is. It could be a tiger running at you or it could be a tiger within you, aka you being a demon to yourself and saying, oh, I'm fat. Oh, I'm worthless. Oh, my identity is found in my career. If you're doing that, that can actually hold you back. Yeah. And then especially that vicious spiral, right? Where you're now stressing because you can't get pregnant and it's a terrible feedback loop. Um, Yes. But yeah, both of those. And and going back to under eating and, and nutrient deficiencies, right? I think we can delve a little bit more into those. So in terms of micronutrients, right, we're thinking vitamins and minerals. And and this, I think, again, is a very low-hanging fruit, pretty easy to test for and correct. Um, and, you know, the top nutrients that I see that are really problematic, definitely vitamin D. Um And I'm talking, you know, above the conventional range, most conventional ranges, they're like, oh, anything above 30 is fine. No, I like to see it closer to like 60, um, ideally 60 to 80. And then other, other micronutrients too, that come to mind for fertility would definitely be things like zinc, um, vitamin A, R2, magnesium. Lacey, what are, what are ones that I'm missing here? Oh my God you could potentially be, have any specific nutrient deficiency and it could pop up as infertility because the body, you know, when it mm-hmm. wants to, cause it needs and it wants to conceive and needs enough nutrition for you, but also with the baby. But the ones I see the most, I agree. I see vitamin D, iron, vitamin C, vitamin E, B vitamins, specifically B12, folate, B6, and then riboflavin, B2. Um, I see those. And then some people can also have issues when it comes down to uh, CoQ10, which can be hard to diagnose, but CoQ10 Mm -hmm. is another one. I always say, if you want to become pregnant, you should be assessing your nutrient status six months, even prior to conceiving in the first place. So mm-hmm. do a full entire nutrient panel. And if you guys need a list, you can just DM me or you can DM Anya and I can just 
you know, shoot you an Instagram message. This is the best lab list that you have. It's going to include thyroid, sex hormones, all the nutrients, CMP, markers of inflammation, everything that you need, including things like homocysteine and that's just like a whole rant of another story, but definitely would check homocysteine because if that's elevated, that does increase your risk for miscarriage, infertility, neural tube defects, all that type of stuff. And typically that's elevated because of a missing nutrient. Yeah, it's all interrelated, right? So when homocysteine is elevated, we're usually thinking B vitamin issues, mm-hmm. oftentimes paired with methylation, which is a metabolic process. So um, yeah, and I can't believe I missed iron. Iron is a huge one. And and I definitely recommend everyone to at least once a year, regardless if you're trying to get pregnant or not, a full anemia panel, especially including ferritin, which is like a really good marker of iron storage. Yes. Um, so that's a really, really often, often missed one. Um, and you know, you're particularly particularly susceptible to to low iron if you're having heavy, prolonged periods, um, gut issues, especially things like parasites or other bacterial overgrowth. Mm-hmm. Um, or being on like a vegan or vegetarian diet are really huge. Yes. And you guys, so a full iron panel would be ferritin, serum iron, TIBC, that's total iron binding capacity, percent iron saturation. And then I always say you need to add copper, ceruloplasm, and vitamin A to that because those all play a role with um, iron homeostasis and storage as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I do the same thing. And then sometimes some people can be deficient in omega-3s. I rarely see that, but that can occur and that can hinder fertility as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I usually, I pretty much have everyone either make sure they're consuming low mercury fatty fish at least five times a week or do a supplement, um, regardless if they're trying to get pregnant or not, just because they're really, omega-3s are so amazing and they are pretty hard to get through the standard diet, especially if you're not eating those fatty fish, like sardines, wild salmon, mackerel. So um, yeah, omega-3 definitely can play a big role too. And what I wanted to bring up, just because we mentioned micronutrients, so I'm a big fan of micronutrient testing, but there's an app that you can use called Chronometer, and it will allow you to literally track all the foods that you eat. Now, this does not mean that you're absorbing them, but Mm -hmm. you can track all your food and see what are those nutrients that you're hitting on a daily basis. And if you say, see, hey, I'm actually low in my vitamin K or my calcium on a daily basis, that gives you a little bit of an inch to say, okay, what can I add into my diet that might help me reach the quote unquote RDA, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that's what you actually need, but it gives you a little bit of an insight with what you could be low in on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. And I, I don't love the RDAs. They're like an okay starting ground, but they tend to be lower. Oh, because they're just, yeah. There's so many, there's so many factors that can increase your needs, right? Like for example, going back to stress, stress depletes certain nutrients, especially things like magnesium or B vitamins. So you need extra being on any sort of medication can deplete these certain nutrients. Mm -hmm. Again, you have to absorb these issues. So if you're having any sort of gut issues and you might not be aware of that, um, that could also cause malabsorption. Some genetic SNPs can affect your ability to properly absorb and metabolize Mm -hmm. micronutrients. So there's so many factors. Yeah. Speaking of gut, that's number three, root cause oh, yeah. of infertility. And I hate saying this one, but I see it time and time and time again. There are top, I would say top three, actually four that I see that cause infertility. So I see um, leaky gut, H. pylori, parasites, and SIBO. Now there can be candida too, but those are the top four that I see. Anya, what you say? I say the same thing. Um, and I, I was just thinking, I was like, is there ever going to be a podcast episode where we don't bring up 
No. The gut, because there never will be. <laughs> no. Um, so yeah, so you could, it could definitely be a gut infection, right? Like what you kind of mentioned, like with the parasites, SIBO, H. pylori, it could also be a, um, a dysfunction, right? So for example, um, if you have some sort of like pancreatic issue or low stomach acid or poor bioflow, that could affect your ability to absorb nutrients from food as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I see that a lot. And, you know, what is a common cause of that? Again, stress can be a really big part of it too. Um, so that, that I see quite often. And then any sort of like inflammation that's happening also can, can play a big role. And there are so many reasons that that could be happening. And if you ever find that you've really high inflammation on a stool test, definitely recommend doing some further workup just to, to rule out some other bigger, scarier things. Um, but yeah, if, if you have high inflammation, for example, calvertectin is a marker that's often used with a lot of popular stool tests that can definitely be um, hindering your ability to get pregnant and needs to be addressed too. Yeah, for sure. Um, and that would be like calprotectin. Typically, if you're hitting around 200, that's a big sign that there might be celiac, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, maybe even colon cancer or polyp. And that would definitely need a gastro- gastroenterologist to figure that out. And then with the gut too, um, sometimes it's a food sensitivity. That's not the gut, but it's related to causing Mm -hmm. leaky gut. So if somebody is exposing themselves to gluten or wheat or soy or eggs or dairy or nuts or shellfish, whatever they have an intolerance to, that actually kind of like disrupts the tight junctions within your small and large intestine. And that creates that leaky gut scenario. And then when you have leaky gut, like you have all the food antigens, undigested food particles, bacteria, parasites, you have such a big inflammatory response in your body. And that communicates it. Hey, there's not a safe, it's not a safe time. There's a lot of inflammation. And so I do see if somebody has like an undiagnosed gluten intolerance or gluten sensitivity, that can cause an issue with getting pregnant. And then key thing too, I want to mention in regards to H. pylori and parasites particular. And I see this with dienta amoeba as well as um, blastocystis hominis for the most part. They actually can cause miscarriages. And sadly, some women, they actually do get pregnant and they don't even know it. And then they lose the pregnancy and they just think they have a period. So please know, like sometimes even if you have wonky periods, there's always a chance too that that could be a potential miscarriage. Yeah, which is, again, a good reason, like at least six months before you're planning to conceive to do a good assessment, including a stool test. And mm-hmm. you can have GI issues and not necessarily have overt GI issues, right? They could be extra intestinal. So just because you're having normal bowel movements doesn't mean that you don't have a gut issue. So I definitely really like to rule that out, especially because once you become pregnant, we can't really treat a lot of these, um, the, this overgrowth, right. It's just not pregnancy safe. So it's good to do it beforehand. Yeah. And I do, one thing that I do want people to know is if you do say have a gut infection and it's candida or it's H. pylori or it's SIBO, there are some things that you can do to treat during pregnancy, but please don't ever touch that during the first trimester because that greatly increases your risk of a miscarriage. So you can do gut healing, but you always need to do that in the second or the third trimester. And then most importantly, just test before you get pregnant or you want to get pregnant. That way Mm -hmm. you know what's going on and you can fix it before. Yeah, absolutely. All right. What's next, Anya? I'd say the next thing that comes to mind would be toxicity and toxic mm-hmm. overload. Um, and that could be coming from so many different sources, right? It could be environmental toxins. Um, I'm thinking things like heavy metals I see quite often. 
um, you know, other sort of like um, endocrine disruptors that you can get in the environment too. I put mold in this bucket too, um, as well. That's, I guess, considered environmental. Um, Those are the top ones that come to mind. Let's say you. (laughs) Yeah, those are very, very good. Um, I would say uh, it's so hard because when we walk outside, there are toxins literally everywhere, right? And we can't run away from them, but we can reduce our exposure. And the way I want you guys to think of the toxic bucket is like a bucket, right? The more drops you put into that bucket, the more it's going to overflow. And you might be okay with a couple drops and have no issues with your health or fertility whatsoever. But the more drops you put into that bucket, plus of course, the more stress drops that you put into that bucket, the more likely it's going to overflow. So say you have a tiny little bit of mold exposure, it's not causing you an issue, but all of a sudden, then you have a stressful um, work environment that might be the last drop in that bucket. And all of a sudden, then that mold is going to cause you issues with getting pregnant or cause you issues with your general health. And the key thing with testing too with these things is you need to work with somebody that actually knows how to test and how who knows how to interpret these tests too, because you have to make sure that you do you know, sometimes provocation or non-provocation, you assess the environment, you don't just look at the test, you look at the symptoms. So just requires having somebody who knows about these toxicities and what to do about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, you know, I like, like Lacey mentioned, or like you just said, it's when it can be a little bit overwhelming. So focus on controlling the things that you can control. But if you have any sort of suspicion um, the thing that is just coming to mind is mold, right? I have a lot of people that are like, well, maybe there is mold here. I'm not sure. I don't really see it. If you have any sort of suspicion, test in advance. Yeah. Just yeah. Be, be sure. Um, mold really can be so, so sneaky. Um, and again, you might not even feel any symptoms. It might just be affecting you in a very like low grade, but systemic mm-hmm. way. Yeah. So with toxin avoidance, that's key don't want you guys to run and worry about doing a detox or anything like that. Focus on avoidance first. Um, Environmental Working Group, Think Dirty, those are great resources. Um, And then have a good HEPA air filter, dehumidifier, change your air filters, um, run your fan in your bathroom after you go to the, or use a shower. Then focus on, you know, reducing your plastic exposure, staying away from high mercury fish, staying away from toxic cookware and plastics, things like that. That's the first thing to focus on. Yeah, yeah. So next, we're going to talk about the role of hypothyroidism and thyroid disease in infertility. Uh, I mean, this is this plays a role in pretty much everything. Right. Um, see this a lot. So, you know, for those who don't know, your thyroid, it, you know, it's the master regulator of your metabolism. Um, and so when you're having hypothyroidism or slow thyroid, um, or even if you're hyper or like, you know, fast, both of which can can negatively affect your ability to get to get to get pregnant, mostly because they're going to impact or impair your ability to ovulate. Um, so ways, so first of all, signs that you might have hypothyroidism, um, constipation, unexplained weight gain, brain fog, extreme fatigue, really dry skin. Those are the first ones that come to mind. Um, and, you know, most doctors conventionally, they will test just TSH, maybe with reflux to free T3 or T4. That's that's not enough. You need a full thyroid panel um, with free T3, reverse T3, mm-hmm. um, thyroid antibodies too. I always like to check as well. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of an entire thyroid panel. And the key thing is too, like the, you have to make sure that you check for those presence of the antibodies because if those presence of those antibodies are there, it does not, does not necessarily mean that your thyroid gland is being damaged, but it does tell you that there's something in your body or outside your body that's causing potential inflammation and attack of your thyroid tissue. And until you get rid of that, there might be potential damage that happens. And that would be in Hashimoto's diagnosis. So just make sure you do that that way your thyroid doesn't continue to get damaged and potentially you have less and less thyroid hormone and got to be on replacement therapy for the rest of your life. And with the thyroid too, um, keep in mind, there are definitely things that can impact your ability to make thyroid hormone, to utilize thyroid hormone, to have T4 to T3 conversion. And we'll have a whole like thyroid episode, but I do have one already down in my podcast if you guys want to listen to that. But just 100% get a full thyroid panel done. And if there are abnormalities, then you can do digger de- um, more digging to figure out what are those things that are impacting the ability to make thyroid hormone, nutrients, stress, cortisol, toxins, or you know T4 to T3 conversion, um, stress, gut, liver, infections, and then of course, you know, um, cellular sensitivities, nutrients, infection, inflammation. So there's just a lot of things, but yeah, definitely check those thyroid hormones. Hyperthyroidism can of course happen as well, but I definitely don't really see that many times, but typically that's like diarrhea, a regular heartbeat, a shortness of breath, tremors, weight loss, things like that. But with infertility in particular, we see more of hypothyroidism. Yeah. I mean, hyper, her thyroidism is just less common in general, um, which is why I say that we'd, we'd see that less. Whereas hypothyroidism, especially that kind of subclinical hypothyroidism is, yep. is quite common and, and we see it all the time. Yep. So next thing we're going to talk about are blood sugar issues, blood sugar dysregulation. And with that, Ooh, there's a couple things that can happen. So we can have issues with not getting enough food and going hypo, or we can have issues with eating too much and going hyper. So the key thing is being either hypo or hyper. That's very bad for your body. It's not good for your adrenal glands, not good for your hormones. Definitely when we talk about if you want to get pregnant, having those spikes and dips is very stressful to the body. So the best thing that you could do is make sure that you have steady, consistent meals and that you are consuming complex carbohydrates, fiber-filled, staying away from the refined grains, added sugars, inflammatory uh, carbohydrates, and then making sure that you don't just eat carbohydrates by themselves. Making sure you have good carb with a protein or fat to balance your blood sugar. I talk about with my clients, I'm like, it kind of needs like a cape, like a little jacket. So you want to have a banana with some almond butter or some rice cakes with avocado, really prevent those spikes and those dips. Oh, I like that analogy. Um, yeah, I mean, this is really important, not only for getting pregnant, but for having a healthy pregnancy, gestational Mm -hmm. diabetes or, you know, blood sugar issues during pregnancy are very common. So you want to set yourself up, um, so that you're going to decrease your chances of experiencing that when you are pregnant too. Um, and you know, ways that you can tell that you're having a blood sugar issue. So there are some signs and symptoms, right? So let's say you're getting like fatigue after eating, or you're getting shaky right before meals, those are like two really telltale signs. Um, And then, you know, there's a variety of other symptoms too, like anxiety, trouble concentrating, um, you know, waking up frequently in the middle of the night, peeing a lot in the middle of the night, those are some other signs. And then testing, I always say test fasted insulin. and, you know, again, the reference ranges conventionally are far too high. I like to see fasting insulin more like two to eight. Um, look at your hemoglobin A1C is another mm-hmm. good marker. 
And if you really want some good real-time data, um, I've become increasingly fond of the continuous glucose monitors, those little devices that you can wear in the back of your arm. Um, just keep in mind that those are good ways to look at patterns and fluctuations, but the, um, the actual numbers, the actual values are not necessarily um, completely accurate all the time. So it's really just to look at those patterns and fluctuations to get some real-time insight into how your meals and your lifestyle um, are affecting your blood sugar balance. Yes, that's very important. And also we need to mention there's that huge connection too with an imbalance in blood sugar and um, the inability to ovulate. So you can develop if you have high insulin or you know poor glycemic control, you can develop either type 2 diabetes or insulin resistance. And when that happens and that occurs, you can have elevations in your testosterone levels or elevations in your estrogen levels. And that basically causes a dysregulation and miscommunication with your HPA axis. So you can find that you start developing with high testosterone, you'll have high LH and that prevents ovulation. So just know that dysregulation does cause direct imbalance in your hormones. It doesn't just act as a stressor. It does cause hormonal issues. Yeah. Yeah. It affects, it affects the cells, the granulosa cells, the theca cells, which, um, we don't need to get into, but Simply put, like Lacey said, it, it's not just a matter of, oh, blood sugar, it like affects your your appetite or your energy or causes stress. It directly affects your sex hormones and all of you know the hormonal processes happening in the body. So it's very, very important. Yeah. And I would say if you're trying to get pregnant, um, just we didn't bring this up, but Intermittent fasting for some people can be beneficial. If you have type two, type two diabetes or you're insulin resistant, fasting might be helpful. But if you're the case to where you might be more over exercising, under eating, type A stressed out, fasting might be the worst thing that you do for your hormones. So I would teeter totter on that being very, very careful. And if you do any shape or form of like restrictive ketogenic diet, paleo diet, that's just something that you have to make sure that you're getting enough calories, macronutrients, nutrition, micronutrients, and you're balancing your blood sugar because those things, those restrictive diets are very, very harmful for some people and really cause infertility issues. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, it's so individual, especially with fasting. Um, there are definitely some, some women and it tends to be more, you know, women who maybe are overweight or have other sort of like metabolic dysfunction that can benefit from a little bit mm -hmm. longer of an intermittent fast. But I see more and more women that actually like they need to have breakfast within that first 60 minutes of waking um, and can benefit more from that approach. Right. So, you know, just keep in mind that everyone is very, very different. Um, but even regardless, like, like besides that, no matter what, even if you are intermittent fasting, you need to be getting adequate calories. Right. Because if your body does not feel safe and does not know if it's going to be fed well and, you know, when the next meal is coming, why would it feel like it can get pregnant? Right. Mm -hmm. So we're always talking to our body. We're communicating with our body by the way that we eat and live. And so we have to do so in a way that's making it feel safe and ready to have a baby. Mm hmm. Exactly. So next, let's talk about certain conditions that are associated with the failure to ovulate. And you guys, as you should know, um, it's not taught in 
classes, but you should know that in order to have a baby, you have to ovulate. If you do not ovulate, there's no egg to then travel into your uterus to be then fertilized by the sperm. So if you can't ovulate, you can have issues with getting pregnant. So the first thing that can impact or prevent ovulation is PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome. And there's the whole Rotterdam criteria on that. And it's basically like BS because there's so many like quote unquote false types of PCOS. But the one I'm talking about here is androgen based PCOS, right? So with androgen based PCOS, you have high testosterone, heretism. So that could be, you know, hair loss, oily skin, acne, male pattern hair loss, specifically around your temples, weight gain, things like that. Um, or you can have like the, the skin tags or the darkness of your armpits. So that's, those are the signs and symptoms. But with that in particular, women that have PCOS, high testosterone-based PCOS, you often have high LH values with um, low FSH, and that contributes to poor egg development and the inability to ovulate. So the big thing with that is figuring out why is testosterone elevated? Most of the time, that's blood sugar dysregulation, high insulin levels, but it can also be inflammation, infections um, that can contribute that to to that as well. Yeah, and and also stress as well, like oh, big time. Um, yeah, this is really huge, right? And like, let me also just say, and then like, just going back to ovulation, that just because you're having periods doesn't mean you're ovulating or always ovulating. Right. So it is possible to have an ovulatory cycles as well. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, the, that, that androgen or high androgen PCOS is really, really huge. Another thing um, that I guess maybe is, is a little more obvious would be amenorrhea or just absence of a period, specifically yeah. secondary amenorrhea. Um, you know, if you're not getting your period at all, then then obviously you're not ovulating. So and there are so many reasons why that could be happening. A lot of the ones are actually ones that we we just listed, you know, above in terms of like other sort of common causes of infertility. Um, but that's huge. And if, so if you're not getting your period or you've missed a period for more than three periods, then definitely you need a full workup. You need to work with someone um, not only to help you get pregnant, of course, but also just to make sure that you're you're healthy, right? Because not having a period there's definitely something that could be harming you longer term as well. Yeah, it's your fifth vital sign. So you got to figure out what internal or external fires are going off and why is your body not having a period? And Mm. we went over, like the first things that we talked about, those are huge things to look into. But when I think secondary amenorrhea, which is loss of your period, primary is never getting it, secondary is you lose it. I always think, what are the potential internal or external stressors? And then you can talk about, of course, issues with with outflow of the, you know, your... um, uterus or organ issues or issues with ovulation, then you could talk about those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and another like common cause for this, which is also just, again, another condition that's associated with, with having trouble with ovulation is having high prolactin mm-hmm. or hyperprolactinemia. Um, so you should always check prolactin whenever you're getting your hormones tested. If it's really high, like in the 100s and above, you definitely need a an, an additional workup. Usually that's a company with a pituitary MRI just to make sure that you don't have any sort of um, any sort of tumors or, or growth. And, you know, that could definitely cause prolactin to be really, really high. But then there are other reasons why prolactin can be high. Um, I see stress, again, being a really big one, nutrient deficiencies. Um, coming off of hormonal birth control, 
Prolactin is usually elevated or often elevated with hormonal birth control and that elevation can last um, for a bit longer after you stop as well. So that's another, another common cause for that. Yeah. And for those that don't know, prolactin is essentially a hormone that is helpful for women to produce breast milk, but it actually prevents you from ovulating because when you're breastfeeding, the body doesn't want to have another baby. Right. Mm -hmm. And that can be falsely elevated if there's a lot of stress, if there's a B6 deficiency, um, or of course, if there is a pituitary tumor, but definitely always check your your prolactin. There's a couple things like, you know, B6, Vitex that can help with it. But if you have high prolactin and it's extremely high, please go to a doctor. And then of course, focus on stress management because most of the time it's elevated because of stress. Yeah. Yeah. But definitely if it's, if it's in the 100s or above, get a scan ASAP. Mm -hmm. I found, I found tumors in not one, but three different clients of mine. So it's, it's unfortunate that it often goes missed in conventional medicine. So Again, regardless if you're trying to get pregnant or not, every year, check your prolactin. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's chat about estrogen dominance, Anya. Mm, yeah, so for those who don't know, estrogen dominance really just means that you're having high estrogen in relation to progesterone. Um, and, you know, there it's, first of all, it can be a little bit difficult to sort of assess if you truly do have this, right? The best way to do so is to test about five to seven days after you're expected to ovulate. And I prefer doing testing through the urine um, and getting, you know, four different collection samples because progesterone can fluctuate um, throughout the day. So that's a good way to, to kind of assess your estrogen in relation to progesterone. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, some signs of estrogen dominance, usually we see it a lot kind of in these sort of, um, you know, luteal phase um, symptoms. So we see things like pretty bad bloating, headaches, especially like right before your period, trouble sleeping, acne, um, you know, weight gain, especially weight gain kind of like around like the like abdomen and thigh area. Um, those are, and, and also like histamine reactions. So maybe you're getting like rashes or you're getting some like sinus issues or itchy eyes in response mm -hmm. to food or environment. Um, those are all signs that you might have an estrogen issue. Painful, heavy periods, really oh, bad yes. cramping. Those definitely can be. And I want you guys to also like understand the mechanism behind that. So too much estrogen in your body, it has this like it's supposed to communicate via that negative feedback loop to your hypothalamus and your brain, your pituitary. So when you have too much estrogen, you don't have the correct amount of FSH and LH to help to induce ovulation. Because the body says, okay, hey, like when you have FSH is supposed to be released to help with those eggs and those follicles to mature. And when they mature, they release estrogen. So what happens is the body goes, okay, there's a lot of estrogen. I already have matured eggs. I don't need to send out more LH and FSH. And then you don't have ovulation. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then in reality, like <laughs> you're not pregnant. The mature, The egg might not be fully mature, but it thinks it. Yeah, yeah. And like, as you can see, guys, like, our hormones is such an intricate balance, right? Mm -hmm. So when one thing is a little off, like all of the signals, because hormones really are our chemical messengers, right? So all these single signals get all messed up. And basically, like, you're, you end up sending the wrong message to your brain, and that impacts everything. So yeah, estrogen dominance, I feel like is just it's very common, but it's also almost become like a little bit fuzzy. Right. So like, it's not always an issue of too much estrogen. It's also an issue of too little progesterone right. in relation to estrogen. So just that's something to keep in mind that 
you know, that's why you want to test, right? Because it's not just about like, okay, let's lower estrogen. Maybe you actually want to boost progesterone production. Um, and low progesterone, you know, there are a lot of things that can cause that. Again, like the nutrient deficiencies, I see a lot, especially low or poor intake of dietary fat can be can play a really big role with that. Certain nutrients like B6, vitamin E. Um, and yeah, there are some herbs that you could take that can maybe help with this as well. But really, it's, it's those foundations that are going to play the biggest role. Mm-hmm. And the key thing too is, I mean, sometimes people with estrogen dominance, you can actually ovulate, but then there might be a luteal phase defect or stress or infection or inflammation that prevents you from sustaining progesterone. And if you can't hold on to that progesterone, you can't have the growth of that corpus luteum for that egg to actually mature and grow into a healthy baby. So something to keep in mind. And I just want to throw it out there because a lot of people don't know this. If you're taking progesterone on a daily basis, that can actually impact ovulation. So just make sure that if you're taking progesterone, that you're taking it like 14 days, 15 days on, and then taking it off. You should not be taking progesterone during your follicular phase, even if you want to, because it helps with your sleep. You shouldn't be taking it because that can impact your ability to ovulate. So if you're taking progesterone because you have an imbalance in your estrogen, um, or if you want to take it because it helps with sleep, um, anxiety, all that type of stuff, just make sure that you don't take it during your follicular phase because that can prevent you from getting pregnant. Mm-hmm, absolutely. I've, I've had a client actually that was doing that. She's like, Oh, like progesterone is good for fertility. I was like, well, it's not like that. Like again, it's all a perfect balance. So mm-hmm. yeah, so that's super important. You can't take progesterone long term. I mean, there are, that's why there are certain birth controls that are just progesterone. Um, cause it does prevent pregnancy. Yeah. I was mind blown. I was listening to a podcast the other day and it it literally was saying taking high dose progesterone. Some women take hydro, high dose progesterone, like 300 to 400 as birth control. And I was like, that's nuts. I don't yeah. suggest that. <laughs> Just say oh it. I was mind blown. I was like, what? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's really interesting to me that I can only imagine the nausea that some women might be experiencing with doses that high. Sedated. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Probably getting great sleep though. Right. Okay. So two other really top things that we see too, um, maybe not so often for us, but two things that people do see would be um, a diminished ovarian reserve and then primary ovarian insufficiency. So with a diminished ovarian reserve, that's typically like you have less eggs. And unfortunately that can be genetic, that can be toxin related, medication induced, but that basically means that you have less eggs in order and with less eggs, you have less of an opportunity to ovulate. So it doesn't necessarily mean always that you're going to have an issue getting pregnant, right? It just means that you have less eggs and then you potentially might have less time because the more eggs you have, the more opportunities you have to get pregnant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and this is something that, again, like it's not really within our scope to diagnose that you would go to, um, you know, your OBGYN and, mm-hmm. and get a full workup done and figure out if that's your case. Right. And then we have, of course, premature ovarian failure, which is honestly like the saddest thing. And I've seen it for a lot of people. It causes a lot of grief because it really lowers your chances. Um, But sadly, premature ovarian failure can happen. And that's where there's an issue with 
your ovaries maturing, like those, well, the, the follicles from maturing. So it's kind of like an early menopause. And sadly, that can be induced by stress, the environment. It can be genetic, medication-induced. Um, unfortunately, there's a lot of things that can happen that can create that. But you would have to, to get, to get diagnosed with that, typically you don't have any periods at all whatsoever. And it's been maybe like months to years of that. And you would have to go to some shape or form of OBGYN. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is again, your sign. If you guys aren't getting yep. your annual exams, get an annual exam. But there is hope. I mean, with like diminished ovarian reserve, premature ovarian failure, you can do medications and you can do IVF and all those mm-hmm. types of things in vitro. Like there are options. So if that's you, of course, that's less likely that's the case for anybody listening to this. But I want people to know that there's hope with any fertility journey that you have because we have a good God. Yeah. And so many incredible, incredible scientific innovations as well. So yeah, good point. Now tell, talk to us, Anya, about fallopian tube blockages. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there are a number of reasons why there can be an issue with your fallopian tubes. And again, that's going to just prevent your ability to get pregnant. Um, it's more of a structural issue, right? So things like scar tissue, um, can cause that. And that could be from any sort of like abdominal surgery. Usually we see this a lot, um, especially things like endometriosis. Um, also you could have polyps. There could be an issue with the shape of your uterus as well. Um, all of which can cause that fallopian tube blockage. And again, this is something that you would need to get diagnosed with, with your doctor if that's, if that's your issue. Mm-hmm. Yep. That could play a big role with your ability to get pregnant. Sometimes you have normal healthy periods, but if you have an abnormality in the shape of your uterus, then that can cause an issue with the implantation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then endometriosis, which endometriosis or adenomyosis, which can cause a lot of painful, heavy periods, cramping, Ooh, it could be a big demon, but that can really cause issues if you do get pregnant. So it's very important to know if you have those types of diseases, go to OBGYN, OBGYN to get diagnosed. But those things can potentially lower your risk of getting pregnant, but can increase your risk if you do get pregnant of some um, potentially abnormalities with your pregnancy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, most people, if you have endometriosis, you usually have like crippling debilitating uh, periods where you're you're nauseous, you're throwing up, you have to take the day off from work. But it is also possible to have silent endometriosis. Um, and oftentimes, like, you know, I, I've had clients that have been diagnosed with that and it's because they've been through multiple fertility treatments and rounds and they just like are not having success. Um, and that turns out to be the case. So it's mm-hmm. far less common. Usually it's pretty obvious. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, to actually get the official endometriosis diagnosis, you do need um, surgery for that. So it's, it's a difficult process. And real fast, y'all, endometriosis is when you have, like, tissue of that uterus that grows outside of the uterus, which doesn't mm-hmm. feel good. And then adenomyosis is when the lining of the uterus grows into the muscular wall of your uterus. So two different things, but both require surgery to diagnose. Mm-hmm. And both extremely painful. Yeah. Thank God that's not me. I think I, mm, I don't know. All right. I know. <laughs> uh, other things we have a couple like, we're going to go really fast. Okay. Fibroids. Yeah. Those can cause issues with the ability to get pregnant. Um, that can be dangerous to the baby as well. So fibroids mm-hmm. are an issue. Do you have any comments on fibroids? Yeah. I'd also say that fibroids can be a really big issue during pregnancy as well. It can cause a lot of pain. Um, there is, there's kind of mixed schools of thoughts on fibroids, whether or not there's much that you could really do about it. 
Um, I've seen some good research around crucifers, cruciferous veggies for being very helpful with fibroids, um, certain herbs as well. But again, there's something if you do have fibroids, keep in mind, it can cause some complications both with getting and staying pregnant. Yeah. And fibroids typically are caused by too much estrogen. So if you work on lowering your estrogen, work on your estrogen detoxification, of course, the root cause of that, you can really help yourself. And then with fibroids, I mean, typically they can cause obstruction of your fallopian tubes, which can impact the ability for the egg to travel. But you can have surgery to get rid of those fibroids as well. So like, I don't want people to freak out thinking, oh, if there's a structural issue, it's not fixable. You can adjust your diet, your lifestyle supplementation. And then sometimes there are also, of course, medical things, um, surgeries that you can undergo as well. Yeah. Yeah. And then another thing too, that we haven't, that we haven't mentioned, but it kind of ties into that low progesterone discussion is, um, luteal phase, phase defects. So, you know, first half of your cycle is your follicular phase. Second half is your luteal phase when progesterone is supposed to rise. Um, and when you have a luteal phase defect, usually that means that you're having low progesterone levels. Um, and also your uterine lining is not growing as, as it should be. And that can um, negatively affect the ability for the egg to be implanted um, and for the fetus to develop. So that's also a common reason why people are struggling to get pregnant. Um, and again, like, you know, if you're having like pretty bad PMS, especially things like a lot of trouble sleeping, if you're having like a very short luteal phase as well, those are all good signs that they're, they, that might be an issue for you. And the key thing with the luteal phase defect is questioning, why do you have that? Now, sometimes it can be genetic, but go back to the, all the other things we started with, with the beginning of the podcast, stress, infection, gut, nutrient deficiencies, hypothyroidism, cortisol dysregulation, um, insulin regulation, all that, because typically there's a root cause of that. And there's some things that you could do to support progesterone levels, but that will come in another podcast. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Stay tuned. <laughs> and yeah. then Anya, throw at us um, the role of the man. That way they know it's not all the woman's fault. Yes. I'm, I almost, I hate saving this for the last few minutes, but it takes two to tango. So we need the sperm to be functioning well. Um, so there's so many things that could go wrong here. Um, the top ones are, you know, of course, genetics can play a role into sperm health and function. Um, also male hormonal issues can be playing a role as well. So always make sure that your man as well is getting thorough testing done. Um, and then any sort of toxicity and, you know, that could be any of the ones that we described before with the mold, heavy metals, but a huge one that I feel like is often missed and is almost like the hardest, even though it's, it's the most simple in a way, um, are alcohol and any sort of drugs like smoking, yep. especially things like nicotine. Um, vaping. those are, yeah. Oh my God. Vaping. <laughs> if only I had a dollar for every female client of mine that has complained to me about her partner who cannot or will not stop vaping when they're trying to conceive. Um, yeah, all of that can really impact sperm function. Mm -hmm. And again, all of that require attention, like at least six months before you are planning to conceive. So it takes a long time, requires some testing, requires a lot of work on your partner's part as well. Right. And, um, bodybuilding steroids, that could be a big issue too. Um, so just mm -hmm. things to keep in mind if somebody's injecting testosterone, something to keep in mind, there's a lot of therapies now, Clomid, HCG, a lot of things that can help the guy. But the key is of course, why potentially is he having issues with 
you know, ejaculation or sperm count or the swimmers getting to the location. So the swim speed. So Mm -hmm. just know it takes two to tango. You got to get a sperm into the egg for there to be implantation. Please, ladies, do not think it's just you. Get your work done. Dive in. But make your man do the work, too. Make him do the nutrient testing. Look at his blood sugar. Look at his toxic bucket. Make him take care of himself because it's both of you guys. And also, both of you guys, 50-50 DNA, right, to make your baby. So you want to make sure that your baby's DNA and its starting point is healthy and happy. Absolutely. And I always say, like, just like you're taking a prenatal, your, your partner should be, too. Mm-hmm. Um, you should be on a good men's multivitamin that's geared towards fertility. And there, there are certain nutrients that we can discuss this in our next podcast that men really need to pay attention to as well. Yes, you guys. So this was all about what are the potential root causes or situations of why you can't get pregnant. And then our next episode, we're going to talk about how to improve fertility and what to do to increase your, your chances of getting pregnant. Because mm-hmm. there, again, are so many things that you could do. You have so much power over this. It's amazing. Sometimes it's really a simple fix. Sometimes it's a combination of things. But there's a lot that you could do to address most of, of which we discussed. This was fun, Anya. This was great. I hope you guys had uh, a lot of insight, gave you some clarity. We'll talk about, of course, what you can do, um, diet, lifestyle, but hopefully you guys have a good back history with, okay, what are the things that I could change in my day-to-day life? What are the things that I could look into if you're having issues with infertility? And then please know you're definitely in my thoughts and my prayers. It is not easy to go through a journey like this. And please know you deserve all the support that you can get. So don't hesitate to, and I really do suggest, have a registered dietitian, have an MD, an OBGYN, have a therapist to walk you through this journey. Yeah, it takes a team. We all have our different strengths and weaknesses and you want to make sure you're having the most comprehensive approach. Exactly. Anya, any last minute thoughts before we say bye? No, I think that's it. I'm excited to dive more into into what you can do to improve improve outcomes on our next episode. I'm stoked. You guys have a great rest of your day. We do really want to try and get this podcast to grow because we think we are going to just completely jam pack you guys with some awesome knowledge and education. So please do us a favor and review the podcast. Give us five stars if you love us. If you don't love us, just don't leave a review. Please and thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You can keep those thoughts to yourself. Yeah, right? We don't want to hear those. DM us and let us know. We want to know why. Awesome. Well, you guys have a great rest of your day. Anya, I will chat with you later. All right. Bye.